Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Well, you've heard me talk about this before. If there's one mineral you need to think about, it's magnesium. It's the body's master mineral for 300 critical reactions. It includes detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, digestion. Two big problems, though. Magnesium has been missing largely from the U.S. soil since the 50s, which explains why up to 80% of the population may be deficient, and most supplements only have one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are at least seven that your body needs. So I am excited to remind you about our friends at Magnesium Breakthrough. Again, it's a new magnesium product. It's called Magnesium Breakthrough. It is the ultimate magnesium supplement. Best I've ever seen. It is uh, back in stock, everybody. We had completely sold out on it. So get your magnesium breakthrough. It's been selling faster than the company who makes it. They've been selling through. Of course, those are our friends at Buy Optimizers, and they've been just able to keep up. It's already sold out a few times due to supply shortages with all that's going on in the world. But uh, here at the Dr. Drew team, we were able to arrange for some stock to be set aside just for our audience. And again, it is the best deal available on this product. Seriously, with the volume discounts combined with our customers' 10% coupon code, that of course is Dr. Drew 10, you can save up to 40% off select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. And I promise you it's only available at this website, magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. So go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew, use the code Dr. Drew 10, get up to 40% off select packages. You will not find that deal on Amazon or even at the company's own website. This is exclusively for our podcast listeners, and it is a limited time while supplies last. They have completely revamped their checkout process. It is much friendlier. It is easy. Magnesium Breakthrough, the most effective magnesium supplement I've ever tried. Say goodbye to having to buy seven different types. It's in one complete dose. Go to Mag Breakthrough, M-A-G Breakthrough, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use the coupon code Dr. Drew 10 to save up to 40% off select packages to get the most full-spectrum and effective magnesium product ever. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, we appreciate it. Check out everything at drdrew.com. Support the people that support us and keep the winds in the sail of the Corolla Pirate Ship. Uh, you can check out some of the streams we're doing over there at drdrew.com. And don't forget After Dark as well. I am privileged to welcome back the one and only Philip Stutz. He has a ton of stuff to talk about today. Uh, he undertook a massive survey of, com- of consumers and how they're changing their behaviors in the new world. Uh, I don't want to call it post-COVID yet, but the COVID no. world, right? The, uh, coronavirus economy. How about that? Coronavirus economy. I like that. Do you, do you think whatever change, we're going to hear about what you observe, but do you think these things are permanent or sort of semi-temporary? Or how, I, it here, This is great because I've been saying this on a lot of podcasts lately. So, And, the, and I actually have a doctor to help me here. Um, I don't believe there will be, personally, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a, a vaccine coming for the next 12 to 18 months. Fair or not fair? Uh, I would say it is coming in the next 12 to 18 months, but not before. Correct. Because yep. you have to study in people for a long enough period of time to know if there are any bad side effects, correct? Yes. There, there, okay. is, some, there is some talk of volunteer healthcare frontline people. I think I would count myself amongst them if they offer it in the fall. Sure. But it's not going to be widespread. Okay. So let's say uh, it finally gets approved for mass use in let's just say 15 months, right? How long is it going to take to vaccinate 319 million Americans? Right. The whole year. (laughs) Right. So now, now we're at 27 minutes and then what kind of PTSD are people going to have after dealing with this for two or three years? Un- untold, uncharted. Unknown. And so therefore, I believe this is a permanent change in the economy. I believe there's a new economy emerging. And I, I, look, let me just say this. There's a silver lining to everything. I know you're going to get hit by the mob for saying silver linings right now. I can't. The only thing I can control is how I can help people understand how the economy is going to move. If they're business owners, they work in a company, how they can adapt and change. That's my contribution to this moment. And so we undertook um, a survey of 5,000 consumers and then modeled it in our database with 200 million consumers where we have. How did you do that? What what was the. So I have a partnership with the largest data collection company in America. They have over 200 million Americans that they have billions of data points on. And we were able to model 
or survey on how people are viewing the coronavirus economy, how they're making purchasing decisions, and the platforms they're spending their most time on with media. And we're able to extrapolate how how that audience is looking. And then we're able to help business owners right now change sort of how they're messaging to their customers and their clients and things like that. Drew, I'm, I'm, laughing, I'm laughing a little bit because you must be spending a good deal of time on TikTok then. No, they're not on TikTok at all, actually. It's what? like, no, no, it's not at all. But what's fascinating is this, and I think this will be interesting to your audience. The frustration I've seen with business owners over the last five to 10 years is what I call the Instagram economy. That somebody can go on Instagram, take a picture of them in a thong on a beach and make $10,000 on the post. And I have had so many business owners go, they're doing nothing. I provide this great service or product that's going to help people and serve and no one cares. And this person who's got great abs uh, and half their clothes on is getting paid $10,000 to hold up a toothpaste. Like I don't understand. And I say it was sort of a bankrupt moral economy, right? We morally were bankrupt in how we were in the consumers, not the people doing this. Like they had every right to make money. Right. But the consumers had put all their energy into a few factors. How can I look, buy products or services or engage in social that it validates me, makes me feel like I'm significant, I have high status, that I'm a high achiever, or I could like that person and acquire some kind of wealth or buy things from them and acquire some kind of wealth. That economy is dead. If it you're one of the, it was almost was a magical economy. Like if I can get something that that person yes. rubs their, right. their their magical dust on, then I too will have that cachet. And it it didn't just work on the Instagram economy. It worked. We have in our company. We work with Fortune 200 companies, pharmaceutical companies, uh, publicly traded companies. We were utilizing because the data told us this is what consumers wanted. So we were utilizing marketing campaigns around these themes, right? What the data tells us from the first COVID study that's been completed by anybody is what we have in front of us. And I'm going to offer it to anybody in your podcast that's listening right now. They can have it for free. We charge our clients five to $10,000. There is no opt-in. There's no email you have to put in. I'm literally going to, I'll give you the link and then you can download it, take it and utilize it anywhere you want. But what we're finding, the critical point is how per- personal values are used to drive the economy and will drive the economy in the future. And this is a silver lining. Personal, silver, what's that? Meaning, personal values, which have been a little bit um, <laughs> devoid. And so, so is there a new establishment? Of yes, yeah. correct. They, the new personal values and personal values, to, uh, let me interpret that. That's what consumers have in their brains of why they want to make a purchasing decision. So right now, almost all families are sitting down and going, let's open up our budget and see what we can cut. Mm -hmm. That's happening across the board. It's happening to businesses. It's happening to consumers. But the three factors that are driving all purchasing decisions right now in the corona moment, and I believe will carry for the next five years after the timeline we just discussed, are three things. Helping others providing safety in your products or services, and being trustworthy. Those three factors, if you have aligned your business to fit those things with your customers and make your customers feel that way, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that, then you will have, you will, this is your moment before every competitor comes in the marketplace and runs marketing campaigns for these particular factors. They're going to. No one knows this. We're the first people that have looked at this. I think it's a great thing. I love the the fact that people will buy going, I want to trust the product or service. I want to know that they're helping other people and I feel safe in buying it. Do you think that this will be an, a renaissance in uh, philanthropy? Because a lot of that, at least two of the three, fits a philanthropic you know, endeavor. The economy's got to come back first. Okay. But they love businesses that are giving back. So we work with an organic product and food company. And when people are cutting budgets, organic foods, organic products, when I say products like soaps and toothpastes and things like that, that, those are things that people are cutting or would cut if they need to cut their budget. But in this moment of a pandemic, we have positioned them to say, of all the things you can cut, don't cut your organic products. Don't use 
uh, pesticide-laced foods or products. Don't use harmful chemicals. Use uh, these organic products. And by the way, when you make a purchase of this product, we'll donate 100 masks to this X hospital. And that's what we're doing right now. So we're utilizing philanthropy in the cell because it's the right thing to do. And first, it, so it, it, helps, helps, it helps others. So it feels like it's, it's something that people have been asking for for a long time, which is for corporate America to be more socially conscious. Yes. Not as a, not as a um, sort of a, a passing kind of a nod, but actually is fundamental to their culture. Right. Big business is going to have to adapt. And, and, you know, I've actually already seen Facebook running 60 second ads on live TV, like around uh, American Idol, because I have a seven year old. We watch it every Sunday. Um, And and they already are hitting all three of these points. But like for organic food and product company, they helping others, they're going to give masks away. Right. Right. Organic products. Keep your family safe. And ultimately, safety and trust are inherently connected, right? So if I feel safe, I'm going to trust. Or if I trust you, I feel safe. Right. And so, and we've started running those campaigns, and they, they've crushed so far. Um, and I'm just telling you, the, the value system of the American consumer has completely changed. And so if you're out there, you know, I was in Beverly Hills this summer, and I met with an Instagram influencer. And mm-hmm. she travels the country, uh, takes scantily clad pictures of herself, which good for her. I don't care. I'm not judging it. Right. And she's making uh, 10 to 15,000 hours a post. She's making between half a million, million dollars a year. And I sat down and I said, you've got to develop, you've got this huge following, you got millions of followers, put, create products that you can sell to the people, like create different verticals for your, for your brand. You got an opportunity. And she went, no, 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 no. I am not doing that. I'm traveling the country and spending my time getting paid nothing to travel the country and wear bathing suits all day. Why would I change my model? And I'm saying that person is out of business. A business that flaunts status and wealth, right? Yeah. Think of advisor, uh, financial advisory firms. Um, Think of, you know, real estate. You could think of people that are selling cars, things like that. You have to pivot your message right now because those are the least attractive messages that we're seeing across the board. In fact, it just turns people off. I, I was talking to uh, Rachel Cruz last night on a television show I was doing, and she was sort of talking really about helping people get out of debt and helping people have a a, a safety buffer and, and those sorts of things. She was very focused on that and it seemed to me talking to her, I thought that that's useful to people. Is that mm-hmm. the kind of thing they can tolerate? Or Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, now, you have to be really granular in how you message that to make sure it's hitting your right demographic that you're targeting. Um, I, I'll give you another example. There is a, a sort of family friend down where I live in Florida, and they just laid off some people in their company, their husband's company. The next weekend, they're on a boat. She's in a bikini. She chose a picture that says, live in the corona life. Oh, my God. And, of <laughs> course, the, she got eviscerated, Right. You can't be tone deaf. Nobody's sitting in their home right now. Well, how about Nancy Pelosi in front of uh, you know two, two sub-zero refrigerators that cost each more than my car? <laughs> I didn't see this. So tell oh me my god! She was like, "Here's what I'm doing. I'm getting ice cream out of my refrigerator," and everyone was like, "Oh my god! Look at the kitchen. It's a million right. kitchen." Now, three months ago, did you see a lot of that kind of stuff? I, I mean, I like people tone I down. Know. You know what I mean? It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't strike me the way it does now, right? Right. But people have. have been posting how great their life is on yeah. social media platforms. Yeah. You can't do that right now. And I'm not talking about the woke mob. I'm talking about people are, are saying, I got to stay at home to save my family's life. Oh, yeah. And, and somebody's going to post something like this. You can't do that. It is literally, that's not where the value system of the buying power of consumers is right now. And that is exciting to me. I think it's really important. Well, I had an interesting, I want to ask you two things. I want to, I'm going to tell you a personal experience I had today and you can kind of interpret it for me. And then before I do uh, your book, fire them now, the seven lies digital marketers sell. Have you pivoted off those messages or is that, does that still apply? No, those, uh, the messages still apply because I believe there are marketers out there taking advantage of business owners, but, uh, I'm writing my next book right now and it's sort of interesting to be writing it for, spend a year preparing for it. And now this hits and you've got to 
kind of reorganize the whole thing. So um, it's not even this is a black swan does not adequately describe what just is happening. Yeah, black swan is is too too ordinary <laughs> for the for the current circumstance. That's you right. Know? So wait, what was you said? There was a story that so so I um, signed up for the California and the. Um, in the New York Health Corps, I want I'm going to go in and offer my services to any any need that you know we you know mm-hmm. California called up 45,000 physicians and nurses and that I'm in I'll, I'll be happy to do part of that. Um, New York though called me. New York California just doesn't have the demand. New yeah. York has the demand. So I finished an application today, and I realized I have all the skills they need. And so I was like, you can count on me. I'll be there. Just tell me when. So I'm sort of waiting for my deployment. Like, you know, it's almost like a national guard or something, but I noticed that it felt so good to have, forget the service part, which I always look forward to, but to have skin in the game sure. and fighting this thing, you know, did not just to say, okay, I'm collective. I'm part of the collective. I'm sitting at home. I'm giving to philanthropies and I'm highlighting, you know, things I can in terms of charities and stuff. They actually skin in the game, like, like in a war, like, yep. it, it's a whole different feeling. Uh, so what am I experiencing and how does that kind of thing translate into your marketing? So here's a really interesting thing about February 5th. I wrote down a question in my daily journal and I said, how do I want to be remembered a year from now? And I think that's a good question for a lot of people to ask. And then I wrote uninterrupted for about an hour. And this data that we've been going through came out of that. I said, I can't be on the front lines. I'm not a doctor or nurse, but I can help get my, this message out. Let's see what we find. And then can I go to the people I know and say, you got to tell anybody that has a job or is in a company, you know, I, I, I would evaluate the economy like this right now. 20% of businesses have been shut down. Yeah. 60% 60% of businesses are just trying to break even and 20% of businesses are exploding right now, like zoom, right. Or food delivery services or things like that. Amazon. And so I wanted to know how could I help all three of those? Hmm. And so one of the things we found in this data, we worked for a national timeshare company and on March 12th, they called us and said, we just laid off you know, 95% of our staff. And we said, we get it. Don't worry about it. And when we got this data that we've been talking about, I called them and it's clear in this data, it's, it's available for anybody that's interested. The travel industry is going to come back really, really strong, but it's because people are trapped in their house and they want to get the fuck out. But it's going to be <laughs> different though. I mean, I, when you think about staying in a hotel, it's like, mm, you kind of, you kind of take a beat, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, eh, yeah, I guess nah, I want to. Right. But people who are homeschooling. <laughs> I don't know. I, listen, I have the hunger. I have to correct me. I have the hunger, but, but yeah. the, the, there's a little bit of a, well, the consumer data says that they, people are dying to get out. Now, is it going to be international travel? No. no. Is it going to be jump on an airplane? No. Is it going to be getting my car? Yes. So for us, I told them, I gave them the data and I said, we're going to position, they're in Breckenridge, like their, their main hub. And I'm like, we're going to position you for everybody within 10 hour drive of Breckenridge. That's your market. That's where you got to go. And so you know, for, for me, that's like, so I'm able to help those businesses that are shut down right now. I'm able, I want to get this message out and I want to give this data away because in a year from now, I know that I helped others. And I think anybody out there right now should be asking them that question, asking that question. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to look at myself a year from now and what I did in this moment? And I think it's really important. It's not, I agree. And, but I, I, it's not that easy to imagine all the forms it's going to take, right? Because it is it is such a shift in a weird way. I mean, like like Adam and I are always discussing how everything was made with love two weeks, you know, a month ago. You know, Subaru made with love, uh, and and Garcet <laughs> gets up and keeps keeps talking about how you know this is all a love project. This is for love. I don't feel like that carries weight anymore. This yeah, that's those are those factors I talked about, like uh, being admired for your achievements. Uh, acquiring status, uh, good public image. The reason it said love is the consumer saw that ad and went, yeah, I'm about love too. And it, it made them feel, it gave them like, uh, you know, like self-esteem in a way. But it, but it feels so empty now. It's like, you've got to be correct. So and this weird. is, this is the good that's going to come out of this. Yeah. 
But what is the but what is the synthesis? It's it's like it's Hegelian, right? It's a back and forth and some sort of synthetic. Uh, ultimately, it's about safety. So when safety. people so rather when people... than so, so rather than a Subaru made with some grandma made with a Subaru with love, it's going to be this is the safest car on the road. You can rely on it. Old fashioned, yeah. old fashioned. This is a good product. Yeah. So like we work with a national pest control company, and we didn't. We repositioned them back in mid-March, and we didn't say, the coronavirus, hire us, we'll, we'll, we'll save you. Like, that would have been dumb, right? Yeah. But what we did was we said, spring is here, summer is coming, bugs and rodents are going to come into your home, you're cooking every meal in your home, you're spending, every, you know, you're doing 100 dishes and trash bags and all that stuff. You can't afford to have rodents and bugs come into your home and bring disease. You must keep your family safe. Our yeah. technicians will wear gloves, visors, uh, masks, and we will come in when you want to go for a walk. We'll come in and service your home. All of those feature helping the family, keeping them safe, and building trust. I, all, and that's crushing. It's working like crazy right now. Makes sense. I could imagine, though, sort of less scrupulous marketers starting to. Oh, of course. Really, you know, <laughs> yeah. you like, give, give bizarre messaging about, yeah, you need. The, who knows what these bugs might carry next? You know, we got to keep you safe from the next one. Well, is- yeah. I mean, if I said the bugs are going to give you the coronavirus or animals are trans, like, you know, like, and of course people are I mean, going to. There's ways, there's, ways there's ways to manipulate people with, in this zone too, right? You know, human, uh, animal to human transmission is the great next great danger. We got to take care of those rodents. It's like, huh, I'm not sure that's what I want to hear people talk about. No, but here's the deal. Everything that I'm talking about has not been exposed to the American American consumer or the American businesses have no idea that this pivot has happened. This flip-flop has happened in oh. values. Uh-huh. And they will know once the economy comes back. So we'll have these rolling, you know, uh economic like people rolling, you know, people go back to their jobs in these rolling waves, right? But yeah. in 3 or 4 months when everything is back online, hoping we don't have a second wave of, of the coronavirus, then, my God, everybody is going to see this. They're going to see it in results. They're going to see it in their own data. I went out and, and commissioned this data to figure this out, and I realized no one knows this yet. So if you're you know, out there and you're a business owner or struggling, like you have the chance in this moment to, to be in a lane where nobody else is spending money, to get a message out and have no competition putting that message because they're coming in three months. And so this window to get out ahead and, and survive this economic catastrophe is their moment is right now. Are there, are there any granular findings in different uh, socioeconomic, ethnic, racial, political groups, anything else you learned? So, yeah. So I will tell you this. So here's the as I looked at, we call them the cross tabs. So it's for the details. Um, I'll tell you what people are consuming on media, but on the granular side, these values that I'm talking about of, of, of helping others, safety and trust, right? Typically when we look at data like this, Drew, we're looking at women always like safety, helping others and trust. They're more thoughtful in their consumer purchases. Men are more uh, uh, spontaneous. The, you know, they carry more of the wave of the status, the wealth, the significance factors, right? Right now, for the first time I've ever seen this in 24 years on political campaigns or in consumer habits, both men and women are completely equal in wanting safety, helping others, and trust in anything that they buy right now. Gary, Adam's going to love this. Please, please share that data with him. I shall. You know that- what I'm saying? That never equals together ever, but but and by the way, it'll recede over time. But right now, you have the chance to to push that message out generically across the board, and it's going to be effective. And that that never happens. So uh, it's that's the granular. Can you can you break down some of the trends in different groups? So I I mean, really, this is a very macro look at the economic factors. I will tell you, I'll jump into what we see with the media. I think this is fascinating right now. Okay. And and I will commend you because you're going on local news a lot. Right now, 21% of all Americans are consuming local news hmm. as their primary media uh, yeah. medium. Interesting. Local news. If I'm, shit, right? if I'm to add up combined 
Fox News, CNN, Headline News, and MSNBC, it equals 20%. Wow. Combined. I mean, wow. all of them together. That's interesting. So what that tells me is that people, it's not that they're tuning out the, the cable networks, but they know there's a bias, an inherent bias, whether it's Fox News or MSNBC, they know they're going for the bias, right? Mm-hmm. But they know they can go to local news and get unbiased. They know they can go to the local news and know what's happening in my community that affects me and my life and helps me under, feel safe. Uh, they trust the local news and they feel like the local news, again, this goes back to those three factors, is helping the community and what they're getting out there. So interesting. if you want to, like, if you have a brand, you want to get on local news, it's really important right now. If you want to sell something, local news is really important right now. Also, people are consuming old time mail. <laughs> As my wife said to me the other day, the best part of our day, our day is to leave the house, leave the homeschooling behind and go get in the mail. So, huh. and everybody's checking their mail because they're home. Mm. So this is the moment that you can, if you do direct mail, you're going to probably see a lot more direct mail over the next few months. Uh, right? We were hoping for the opposite. We were like, because we get so much garbage. It, it feels yes. logically so unsound. But so, guess- and then lastly, on the social mediums, the top three social media platforms right now are YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I kind of combine them into one because they're owned by, you know, Instagram is owned by Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter is a news aggregate. So it, that's where eyeballs are going. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are being utilized because of video and live streaming, as is YouTube. People are consuming video. That's the most important thing out there. Crazy enough, podcasting is down 20% right now. Huh, interesting. Because people want live, real-time updates. They don't want to consume their media that's a week old or two weeks old. Well, it's interesting. I've been doing these streams every day because I, I kind of felt that it, it – not only – I'll tell you, my, my experience of doing those streams was not just that it felt real-time and you know more pertinent, but it's an opportunity to congregate and connect. You know what I mean? It's like build, it builds – it literally builds community rather than community around some recording or some YouTube – it's, it's actually a community gathering in real time. We've also seen a massive reduction in people liking posts, social media posts. Mm. People feel inappropriate in liking anything right now in the condition we're in. So you may have experienced this or people that you've had on your show are like, I can't understand. I can't get anybody to like anything. Don't worry about the likes right now. That's not important. What you worry about is the content you're putting out there that serves others and makes them feel safe and trusting. And over time, that will build your brand, and you will have a larger presence in the marketplace, whether you're a product, service, or a brand itself. I, I can't help but think, you know, how long does this last? What does it morph into? What does it mean politically? Maybe you have some of those information. I do have political data. Um, and so the right now, um, trust in government is at a pretty all-time high. Why? Because people feel unsafe and they're dying for any kind of certainty. They're dying for any kind of uh, establishment that will take care of them. Mm-hmm. Why have we bailed out? Because we want to be taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. And so state and local governments, um, federal government, even Trump have all seen big bumps in uh, the way that the American consumers, American voters have looked at them. Uh, the one that is pretty stagnant right now is Joe Biden. And this, I want to make sure I'm not being uh, partisan. Yeah. I'm looking at data. And that's because you have Trump in, in the, on, the, on the White House, on the steps of the White House every day doing a briefing. Right. You have Joe Biden in his basement. And he's made a lot of gaffes lately. And it's been highlighted by the other side. And thus, it has diminished his brand right now. Um, well, and so fair, he hasn't, he hasn't really started his whole thing yet. Right. No, no. Yeah. And we got a lot of time. Yeah. Right. And, and by the way, Joe Biden is going to run his campaign on the lack of preparation by Donald Trump's administration and the 60,000 deaths that happened. That is going to be the core of his campaign. Trump's will be that he saved 2 million lives. Uh, based on if he had done nothing. I'm not saying which one's right or wrong. I'm telling you, that's how they're going to frame their messaging in those campaigns. That that seems so tiresome. So tiresome. Oh, I can't. You don't think people are going to tire of that really quickly? 
doesn't matter. They're going to vote or they're not going to vote. Uh, when we run negative ads in political campaigns, Drew, yeah. you know, people go, oh, I hate those negative ads. And we go, did you vote? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still voted. Okay. Yeah. Well, then it doesn't matter. And that's why it's tiresome. Yeah. It just seems so uh, unproductive. It's like, ugh. Right. Rather hear about what you guys are planning to do to, to help help us. Yeah. It, it's so your expectation though is that we're going to be in some sort of suspended animation for a good year, right? I think we're going to be in the suspended animation for two or three years. Not that that things don't get better. Not that people don't go. What if we're back at work and we're wearing masks? We're still thinking about this. Right. It's not right. going away. Right. And we certainly don't have the uh, exuberance of sporting events and parades and all that. So who knows what the hell will happen with all that? Yeah. I don't understand how you can get crowds together until what? I mean, tell me, you tell I'm me. I'm on the record about this too. I've said, I don't know how you do it without a vaccine or, 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 or some really reliable therapeutics where we know exactly what we can expect from them. And we might get that. We might get that. That's possible. But uh, provided those therapeutics are good, like really, really change the course of this thing. So maybe, right? I mean, because it really great therapeutics, it, it becomes the flu again. Right. right? So what are the, the economic disruptions that, uh, that I'm seeing through what we're looking at right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one is I wrote uh, an article about a year ago and I said, I thought the social media platforms were ripe for a big disruption. I had no idea a pandemic would probably cause it. I thought it'd be economic, uh, but we've seen that. The other is brick and mortar. How many brick and hold on. What do you mean disruption? What happened? The social media platforms? Yeah. just yeah, the, 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 There's been a realignment in way you can post, you want to post content. You I can't, see. again, same thing we've been talking about, right? The, uh, the look at me, look at me, look at me right. content is over. Do I think it's over forever? Mm, maybe and not. Yet, you, know, my, you know, my kids spend a lot of time on TikTok. So do a lot of other people I know. And that's a lot of kind of look at me. It's sort of, it's sort of making fun of look at me, to be fair. But there's right. a lot of, well, under it, there's a lot of look at me also. Agreed. But the main, the big, the big dogs, right. That we're looking yeah. at right now, whether it's um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, I, I would probably include Snapchat in that, but Snapchat still has a lot of look at me, which is okay because that's how they define themselves. That's how TikTok define themselves. Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, um, you know, YouTube, they didn't define themselves as look at me. Right. So they were right for, I would say brick and mortar companies, right. Or, there's going to be a ton of disruption in the brick and mortar business. It could be restaurants. It could be clothing stores. It could be department stores. That disruption was coming five years from now or 10 years from now, because you could wear a headset and walk through a store and get all your clothes. Right. And uh, with, with a VR headset, but that may be completely disrupted from this or at least partially disrupted the brick and mortar industry. Now, of course it's going to be brick and mortar. I'm not saying it's not going away. I'm just saying there's a lot of businesses that are going to be gone. And then how, what do you fill that with? Yeah. And that has not been, uh, we don't know what that would be right well, now. Then, then you're saying commercial real estate is going to get crushed too. Yes. Cause that also the workplace I presume will also change. And by the way, we just borrowed $6 trillion or, you know, over, we believe it'll be around $6 trillion when it's all said and done. How do we pay back that debt? I know. I don't there, get it. I mean, I it. look, I applied and, and was funded for the PPP loan because I have employer employees. And although we're doing really good right now, yeah. if this thing doesn't improve and the economy doesn't open up, then I want to keep my team in place. I do not want to get rid of them. So I applied and I got it. But ultimately it kind of, I'm kind of hypocritical too, because I'm like, I mean, where do we go with all this debt? Like our children are the ones that are going to have to pay for it. And it's all the things I've always believed against because I'm so libertarian in my thinking, yeah. but I took it anyway. So, and now there's going to be a price to pay for that down the road. We just kicked the can. Yeah, well, we've been doing that for quite a while. Now we, we now we took we turned the can into a trash can, and we're kicking that down the road. So, like Germany, uh, I was talking to an economist last night. Germany basically is spending about twenty percent of their GDP on helping people through this time. We're spending around eight to ten percent. But Germany has such a lack of debt because they've always, I mean, they they know how to balance books, and we don't. 
we just give it away and give it away to get elected. And we'll do, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat, uh, we always just give it away. And there's going to be a price to pay for that. So these are some of the scarier things that are going to come out of this, uh, out of the coronavirus uh, economy. Do you think this will make us be more federalist? and maybe more systematic in some of our policies or can it's too impossible to predict that kind of thing. I, I, for instance, was just thinking about housing and supporting housing and real estate. And then I thought about the, the uh, urban living environments uptown in New York and how they were the source of all the outbreak. They're unventilated hallways and they're little tiny elevators and right. people crammed into these gigantic, you know, cinder blocks. Uh, are we going to be better in how we spend our money? Are we going to be worse? Are we? I, do you see anything like that? Well, out? I think anytime you tighten your budgets, you're better at spending your money. Hmm. Right? People are going to save more. They know what they've got to do. Hmm. Now, I'm sure there are people listening going, I've lost everything. And I, my heart breaks for those people. But for the vast majority, the 60%, I think, out there are just trying to break even. And so I think you make smarter choices when you have tighter purse strings. Give, give us that data again that you gave us at the beginning, the 20 and 20 and 60. Yeah. Um, what we're really seeing right now is about 20% of businesses are being massively affected right now, right? It's not just the businesses, like I told you about earlier, like the travel companies, but there are sub-businesses that service those travel companies, right? Cleaning companies, food service companies, they've all been decimated, right? Uh, can some of them come back? Sure. Maybe half of them come back. Maybe half of them are gone or the 10% are gone forever. Uh, I believe there's about a 60% of businesses right now that are going, we're just trying to break even. Like, like we just need to break even, squeak this out. We need to put every, like just get through April, get, get through May, get through June. Like, you know, and then there's 20% of businesses that this is their economic explosion. You know, the zooms, the uh, screen, the video sharing companies, the, you know, uh, the food delivery service companies. Like, this is a moment. Like, and give, I, I don't know if it was Grubhub or Uber Eats, but they had an ad campaign that didn't say, you're locked in your house, hire us. What they said was, hey, uh, our delivery people will drop the food out, off at the door and you don't have to see us. Right. Safety, trust, helping others. That is a great message for those companies right now, right? And I, and and another, this is another crazy one. This kind of goes back to something you just asked about. Um, if I use the word discount in any for any of my company products in an in an advertising campaign in the last eight years, it would have been seen by the consumers as cheap. They did. If you said the word discount, they went, you know, I don't know if I want to buy that. So we sort of pivoted to the to uh, the word bundling services because that made consumers feel like they're really smart. By the way, make them feel significant, status smart, right? Now, if you're a company and you say, hey, times are tough, we want to give you a 15% discount, boom, they'll take it in a second. So utilizing the word discount is incredibly powerful right now. Isn't that interesting? Yep. That, that's so bizarre to me that people would have thought twice about a discount. It's too too much. Yep. I, I you know, it, it makes me, I kind in a weird way, sort of, and that this is all as always. There's something good that comes out of something difficult. Correct. And uh, it's nice to see that we're moving in a direction that seems more, with the right way to describe it, value laden or value based. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it's value based. Yeah, and it hasn't been value based in a long personal, time. Personal value, right? Correct. We all these are personal values. And uh, does it, is, I'm assuming it will affect the kind of cars we buy and the kind of, maybe even the sort of books we read is how, how do you, do you have any expectations that it will change how we treat one another? Well, you can just see this if they, and in their subconscious of their brain right now. And by the way, one of the things that we're able to do with our, with our data partner is we track what these people do, not just what they say, right? So I always say, I want to know where their movements are online because that'll tell you more about them than them. It's kind of like uh, in 2016, people would say, are you going to vote for Donald Trump or not? And they'd be like, oh, no. And then they'd go into the booth and they voted for him. I think there was like a 5% jump where people were just scared to death to say they'd vote for him, right? Well, Mm -hmm. you know, right now, 
what, and so I like, I'm obsessed with tracking what people do online, not what, I think what they say is important, but it has to be weighted. And Mm -hmm. so what we're doing is we've tracked these people to see what they're doing. We found out of the 200 million people we have in the database, in our database, 200 million plus American consumers, 150 million were search actively searching for coronavirus purchasing decisions in the last, you know, since uh, March 22nd. What does that mean? What's a coronavirus purchasing decision? So uh, I'm, you know, they would write in safe foods for coronavirus, safe immune systems and coronavirus, uh, uh, you know, like, or they'd say, you know, I want to learn more about how I could be smarter in this moment in the coronavirus. Right. And so 150 million. So when I'm targeting um, an audience for a company, well, those 50 million that aren't searching, I'm not, running ads to them because they're not interested in this moment. And of course there's a segment of American society that just doesn't care and is doing their own thing. Maybe, maybe it's Adam. Um, right. And, and, but my point is, is that, you know, resistance. he's not, he doesn't care. He's active resistance. Right. But my point is, is like, you have to target deeper and deeper and deeper into what they care about. But the first, the top line is how would they be infected by what, what is the new economy? This, this may not be a fair question. It may have nothing to do with, what you're observing, but I've noticed that suddenly the winds are blowing about uh, personal liberties and freedom and how much do we give up to our state, local and, and federal governments. Is that going to figure into this economy some way? Because it's, it's a pretty strong wind to blow on right now. And I, I'm sure it'll figure into the politics, but I wonder how it might have figured into the economy. All I know and all I can see right now is that the trust in local government is at an all time high. Yeah. So how that affects what you're saying, I, I mean, I, I just think people go, you know what, our, and what, here's how I interpret that, the trust in local governments, that people are going back and going, you know, I need to invest in my community. Yeah. Um, you're going to see, and I've seen this, and not only the studies we're looking at, but other studies, that the globalization, there's going to be a, uh, people are going to re- rebel against the globalization of, econ- of the economy. For sure. The globalized economy is going to have a retraction. Big yeah, that's, time. that's, you know, that's Brexit and all the other impulses. We've so had. what, you know, you almost saw this metaphorically from the food industry where in the eighties, when I was growing up, uh, the big, big stores came in, the Walmarts, the Costco's, all that. And people went, my God, cheap food, all this food, we can get all this stuff. And then over the last 10 years, you've seen this whole swing back to local and organic, local farms, local support your local farmer and all that stuff. Yeah. This is how I think everything else is going to swing. You know what? Let's let's only support our local communities. If there's a clothing store and so then to Amazon, I'm going to go down the street and buy uh, the pants or the dress from that local store because I need to support my community. You're already seeing that that's the way people are thinking before they've made the decision. And once the economy comes back, I wouldn't be surprised if you see uh, the local economies booming again. How restaurants are going to, to me, that's, you know, gatherings are something that people are really hungry for and they're not going to get the big gatherings and the sporting events, and that kind of thing. So I'm imagining restaurants might be the closest thing we get to a gathering. Maybe, but how do you do that? You, how do you, you get all these people together? You separate. You separate. Right. You, you separate. You wear a mask. You got to eat. And not only that, like the restaurants have packed you in because that's the only way they can make money. And now you're going to remove 50, 80% of the seats. They can't run their business that way. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. What do you predict? I, I, I just don't know. I, we don't know how, when the restaurants are going to open back up. This you is know, the I most heard. devastating thing of the I whole heard that they might reinstitute other than the deaths, right? I, I heard they might reinstitute the tax deduction for a restaurant expense, which would motivate people to spend their money at a restaurant. You, you know, you remember, this is an old thing that used to be in place for many years, where you can just take your sure. Take, maybe maybe there's this. Uh, maybe the government will come in and subsidize it in another. Right. Uh, the 18th bailout of the coronavirus economy. I I just don't know. Um, I don't, I do know this. A lot of restaurants can't even survive right now, much less coming back at 30% capacity. I just don't like, I don't know how how that even happens. Are there, are there any landmines you see out there? You know, things that we've done, other black swans ready to raise their head that you worry about? Well, just the, the amount of debt that we're undertaking. And and how what other industries will be affected over time. And, you know, we just had the greatest 
bull run of 12 years, whatever it was, 11, 12 years. Yeah. And every you know three years, you'd hear from all these economists, uh, oh, my God, the economy is going to cl- – you can't go this long. Like they said this in 13, they said this in 14, they said this in 15, and it kept going. And I think we'll get back to that pattern of uh, having resets a lot, a lot more often than we have over the last 12 years. How are you doing through all this? We last time we talked to you, I think on this show, sure. we were talking about your achalasia. Yes. Yeah. And you've had some experimental treatment since then. <laughs> I'm in a weird position right now. So I have this um, uh, esophageal disease that doctors say is incurable. I, I don't believe it's incurable. Um, and I've had it for years and I did nothing about it. And until finally I decided uh, the pain was too strong. I had 16 endoscopies on my esophagus. I had three major surgeries over the last eight years. The last surgery, they, uh, they cut 25% of my stomach out. They use that cut out as a wrap. They wrap my esophagus and then they staple it all together. That's going to come undone one day. And they've said, uh, esophagectomy feeding to one of the other is going to have to happen. And I'm, you know, I'm 45 years old. So it's not like a, I'm in my seventies or eighties. And so I just, at that point I said, well, I think I'll find a cure. And the Mayo doctor uh, laughed at me at the Mayo clinic and said, yeah, yeah good luck with that. And, Cause it's a rare disease. You know, there's no dollars, research dollars around rare diseases. And so three years ago I wrote an article in Inc magazine said, I'm going to take a moonshot. My moonshot is I'll find a cure of this disease in five years. Long story short, a doctor read the article said at Johns Hopkins said, I'm curious what you're talking about. We taught, he goes, well, let's, let's take some steps together in this. We put a team around me. We got, we, we petitioned the FDA. We petitioned the Hopkins internal review board. Uh, eventually we got everything um, approved. And in September of 2019, I went to Hopkins and they extracted stem cells out of my thigh muscle. Uh, the next day I met up with you, uh, in DC, Drew, um, I was at a horrible limp that day. If you don't remember, we we were in the white house together. (laughs) We were in the white house together and, um, uh, they extracted the stem cells. They took them to a stem cell, um, clinic in Pittsburgh called cook myocyte. They grew the stem cells on February 17th, 2020. I walked into Hopkins, um, and they injected 225 million stem cells into my esophagus to try to regenerate the muscles and the nerves that are dead. That's the disease. They, they kill the muscles and the nerves in, in the they, they do that through the esophageal wall through an endoscope? They did an endoscope. They did it in the same way uh, they would treat uh, esophageal cancer, so the injections. Right. Um, and so that's what they did. Um, and now I'm in this window till er, uh, probably late spring where they're hoping to see, uh, muscle growth in the esophagus and possibly some functionality in the esophagus at the worst case scenario. They, they believe that I'll at least heal a lot of this horrible scarring tissue that's clogging my esophagus and making it very hard for me to eat. Um, I was supposed to go back and late spring to Hopkins do three days of endoscopies and tests to see what the results look like. And we are obviously that is an elective. That's not even elective procedure. That, that's below elective yeah, at yeah. this point because it's so experimental. In fact, they didn't even call it a clinical trial. They called it a compassionate use case, which apparently is like three steps before or two steps before a clinical trial. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the procedure's never been done on animals and it's never been done on humans. Um, so it was pretty nerve wracking walking into the, the surgical room that day. Uh, but I'm grateful because I've had no adverse effects. Have you had any uh, benefit that you're aware of? Not that I'm aware of as of yet. Um, so crossing fingers so, and you hopeful. Have to eat a soft diet or something? Is that sort of your. Say that saying? again? You have to eat a soft diet and liquids now? Or no, you- the diet I eat is uh, the Gundry Plant Paradox diet. And I've been on oh. it for, for three years. And it's, uh, I don't take any medications. I don't take any PPIs for an incurable or for a disease that doctors say is incurable. And, you know, my esophagus is wide open. So uh, there's a lot of acid that comes up. Uh, but on the plant paradox diet by Dr. Gundry, um, I literally haven't taken a PPI in six months. And the last time I did, I was on vacation and, and decided to get back on them so I could eat what I wanted. Are, are you aware of the reflux? 
Does oh god yeah oh my god it's you can tell horrific. when it's under control so okay yeah it's incredibly painful gary dr gundry was a guest on this show what what uh episode was that i get the poor gary I put him on the spot with that one that's all right but uh, he, he was it was episode it was episode 346, and I, I think that might have been right after. I'll look, but it might have been right after the last time Philip was on. Well, that's I, I did the intro. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> but he's written four New York Times bestsellers. I'm, you know, it's, it's the, a different version of the keto diet, basically, um, and um, it's worked for me. So I'm, he's I'm on consistent. To something. He's on to yeah. something. And he's, he's not the lectin, a, lectin free, right? So 326 yeah. for Philip and 346 for Gundry. I thought you had made the intro, but I wasn't sure and I didn't want to yeah, step yeah. on myself. Well, Phil, thank you for sharing this data with everybody. Should we, Gary, should we put this up on the website? How do you want to deal with this? Well, when we put this up, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and we'll link to Phil uh, to Phil's data and to uh, to his Twitter as well. Um, just because of the nature of the way coronavirus is and um, the way we we like everyone else didn't see this coming we should probably highlight that this uh this episode was recorded april 16th it will probably be coming out more like early may so for whatever things have sure. changed in that time period you know just full uh, full honesty this is when we're we're doing it with the best knowledge and, and, I would, and i would argue if there has been a change pay attention make note of it isn't that interesting and maybe we can get phil back subsequently to tell us what the change is from his perspective yeah and if you want to download the report for free without any uh obligation whatsoever go to winbigmedia.com uh there's a tab that says uh covid19 consumer research and you can download it there oh, so it's win big media I, I thought it was go yep. big media. go big, big media is my political marketing agency ah got it so it's win, win big media there it is, winbigmedia.com. You can also, Phil has a website of his own, philipstutz, S-T-U-T-T-S.com. The book is Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell. And uh, at Philip Stutz on Twitter, is that right? Yep, okay. my name. It, man, it is always good to talk to you. Uh, thank you for all you've done for me. We've done, you and I have lived in lots of weird, interesting, different worlds together. <laughs> and this is yet another one. Anything you need, man. I, I love uh, what you put out in the world, so I'm grateful, too. All right, Phil. Thanks so much. And, All right. Uh, we'll look for you uh, as this thing unfolds. I hope everyone learned a little something and has some uh, – maybe it'll help other people uh, build the new economy, which is what we've got to do. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.